Hey, this is the Game Down on Rocket Top podcast. If you were with us last week, this is the fun one now tonight. This is uh, two of two in a conversation about what makes for a satisfying or an unsatisfying basketball season. Uh, we talked last week. You can find it on our site. You can find it uh, probably if you're catching this on SoundCloud. You can you can find old episodes uh, there. We talked last week about Tennessee basketball's least satisfying seasons. And when I say we, that's me and some of our old pals from RockyTopTalk.com back in the day, Chris Penley and Gavin Driscoll. We talked about at least one team of the Jerry Green and Bruce Pearl and Conzo Martin and, and Donnie Tindall's only team and uh, and and Rick Barnes' uh, most recent team. Uh, Joel also says this is episode 177, uh, so we're happy to be here for posterity's sake. Uh, so last week, if you want to go back, if you didn't catch it before and you want to go back and, and have a bad time uh, or, or listen to us have a good time talking about bad times you can catch that but tonight we are going to talk about most satisfying teams i want to start off with a with a general question and i'll ask uh, chris i'll start with you and gavin i would i would curious to get your thoughts too which which list was easier to put together was it last week's the least satisfying or this tonight uh, the most satisfying which was easier for you chris so it was easier for me to find teams for this list i would say it was easier for me to order the unsatisfying list is that actually is kind of how that worked because i mean if you recall right like the tyndall one was an obvious number obvious number one for me um timeline was the timeline year was number two and then it was kind of a question of okay i had a couple of different Conzo martin years kind of which one which one kind of made the most sense but kind of it was always a very clear number one very clear number two for me last week and that I mean, that kind of is how this came out, but there were a lot of other teams that kind of immediately entered the mix. I'd say my approach was probably exactly the opposite of Chris's. I was not surprised by the teams that showed up on my list last week. The The order in which they appeared um, was a little bit different than what I would have expected. Uh, again, it, it's hard for me to argue with science, you know, my, my Excel model here. Um, I... I it resonated more with me. Uh, I think the the teams that came out satisfying. Um, so it was, I knew which ones going in, I probably would have picked as satisfying. And they were the ones that my model also showed up in, you know, tomato, tomato, you can talk about correlation, causation, all those fun things when you're dealing with science. Um, but that that's kind of where I came out. Yeah, I uh, will probably get into some more honorable mention tonight because these mentions are in fact more honorable uh, at the end of this podcast, so uh, that may be two and a half hours from now. Uh, we'll, we'll see how far this goes. Uh, the, last week, if you didn't listen in, the, the timeline team, the uh, 2011 Bruce Pearls last season, was uh, that showed up on all three of our lists. So we didn't make this point last week, but I, I think that's probably the community winner uh, for least satisfying season uh, 2011. Now, I'm curious, so I'm going to start here with my most satisfying season, and I'm I'm very curious and much more confident than I was last week that this might be at the top of all of our lists, but I'm going to start with the year before that. I'm going to start with 2010, the Elite Eight season. So if we were doing the football version of this, uh, everybody might say, well, of course, my most satisfying season is 1998 because that's when Tennessee won the national championship. But for me, 2010 is not only most satisfying because 
that's the, it's the farthest Tennessee has ever gone in the NCAA tournament, and the only time Tennessee has gone that far to the Elite Eight. That story of that team and that season, uh, I mean, I, I've been uh, I've been writing about Tennessee for 15 years. Joel, you've been doing it a little longer uh, than me. That's that's my favorite. I think that team is the best and most compelling story of any Tennessee team, football, basketball, in the last uh, 15 years. Uh, you had. Uh, you have a 22-point loss to Southern Cal in December with that team. You have a, a gritty win at Memphis the same day that in the afternoon and then Tennessee played Virginia Tech and Chick-fil-A Bowl at Lane Kiffin's farewell performance that night. Then you had the arrest the following day uh, with uh, four players being arrested and Tyler Smith being kicked off the team. And then they started winning. And they didn't just start winning. They, they beat Kansas in uh, what is still probably one of the most improbable box scores that's ever existed for Tennessee basketball in that game. Uh, they start to get some players back. They, they won. They lost and things like that. But when, when, they, when they got Brian Williams back, the last player to come back late in the year, they really got hot. They, they beat the John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins team, which if you're – my assumption is everybody listening to this is familiar, probably not an audience that's too young for this team. But remember, that that first Calipari team, I mean, those guys were rock stars. And they were, they'd lost one game when they rolled into Knoxville. Tennessee beat them. Uh, then they beat Tennessee by 100 points in the SEC tournament. But then all of a sudden, Tennessee, Melvin Goins, big, big shot against San Diego State. Uh, Tennessee catches a break in the bracket. Ohio beats Georgetown in the 14 over three. And then, of course, uh, the Sweet 16, Tennessee's only Sweet 16 win over Evan Turner and Ohio State in a fantastic basketball game. Uh, so that one, the, the roller coaster of that season, and, and we say roller coaster in that it ends and you're so glad you were on that ride. So much fun. That one, to me, is is the most satisfying not just because it went the farthest, but the nature of that season uh, and and being a team that that you really wanted to get behind and see them succeed after going through self-inflicted adversity, but adversity and that sort of stuff. That one to me is at the top of my list. And that part, for me anyway, that part was not very hard to to figure out. Uh, anybody else have it on the at the top of their list in that spot? I will take your silence to say no. No, so this is actually my number two. Okay. Um, but like, yeah, there was this is kind of one of the uh, one of the super obvious obvious ones, and I'm willing to bet people in the audience could probably make a decent stab at what my number one is, given that. Um, but no, like, Will kind of covered it all. The only question that I have, because I don't remember, is had Brian Williams lost sixty pounds <laughs> by the time he came back, or was that? Yeah later i don't remember what year that was i, I had a feeling chris was going to point that out uh since he was he was our timeline guy last week that yes i, I did want to mention that in case anybody had forgotten brian williams used to weigh 350 pounds he doesn't anymore but he used to if i can remember something they repeated it a lot yeah <laughs> Just no, the, the, so i think part of what was what was nice about this is like we didn't know this is really like the team came together after Tyler, after kind of the Tyler Smith uh, gun getting kicked off the team thing, right? But we didn't actually know, right? I, if you recall going in, I think we we came in as a six that year, as I believe, and 
when you come in as a six, you don't really know, right? Like, it's like, oh, you're probably playing a pretty decent 11. Um, you know, you're, then you've got a tough, you've got a tough, tough matchup afterwards, but sometimes you, sometimes you catch lightning. And if you catch lightning for long enough, then that wipes out a lot of the uncertainty. And we were already coming through a good chunk of that. Did it help also? Did it help to beat the uh, team that came back from twenty came back against us from being in twenty down a few years back? Yeah, yeah, that helps. That helped a lot. Um, but no, this was yeah, this was an easy, this was a pretty easy number two for me actually. So, so I guess that makes me a bit of an outlier. Uh, this actually was not in my top three. Uh, this, wow, this was my first among other receiving votes, um, and I think that. You know, again, I, I sort of used a framework in putting all of this together. The question for me was always, you know, I think Chris Chris has said a lot of times, choose joy and, and trying to find those moments of joy sprinkled throughout the season. But then, you know, what what's the weight that you put on championships and banners that you hang versus you you had a couple couple good games in the tournament? And again, I, I'm certainly not here to take anything away from a team that has done something that no other Tennessee team has ever done. They're the only one that has made the elite eight. Um, and, you know, I think to some extent you guys have both alluded to it. It's obviously the, the key storyline in the season. There there's an element of not knowing what this team could have been um, because of those, as Will said, self self-inflicted um, adversity and dismissals. Um, but yeah, you, you've got those those two huge games against Kansas and Kentucky. I think both Skylar McBee and Scotty Hobson late in the game hitting threes from the left wing um, to, to really seal both of those games. Those were both moments of extreme joy. Um, and then that, that Ohio State game, again, I, we've been blessed, I think, you know, 10 years ago, if we were putting this list together, there are fewer high moments of Tennessee basketball to choose from in recent memory. The last decade has given us some other things to choose from. Um, but that Ohio State game is maybe one of the, the best, at least last 10, 15 minutes of a basketball game that I have ever seen. They just were trading punches going back and forth the whole time. Um, we were actually at a, a wedding in Birmingham that weekend, and the rehearsal dinner was that night. And I just did not attend. I, I was in the hotel <laughs> bar, uh, posted up watching the game by myself. I was the only one in there, um, but that was just a, a great, great basketball game. So, again, a little bit of a, a contrarian take. Yes, I had this team on the list, but they they did not medal uh, for me. I'll just make three quick points here since I, I get to talk about them the most uh, as as my number one apparently. Uh, the, that I'm looking at the box score from that Kansas game and on the side a couple years ago. Uh, so the, we'll touch base here on a couple teams. I, I know we're going to talk about a couple years ago, uh, after the 2019 season, we did a piece on our side on who are the very best teams Tennessee has beaten in the Ken Palm era. We, we'll talk about Gonzaga two years ago. I'm sure in a few minutes that Kansas team is number two. It's the second best team at the end of the season that Tennessee has beaten in the last 20 years. So to say, and of course they were ranked number one when they came to Knoxville on a Sunday afternoon. You got all those, the, none of those suspended players. Tyler Smith's off the team. No Brian Williams. Uh, no Melvin Goins. No Cameron Tatum. Then this box score is why, JP Prince fourteen minutes fouls out. Wayne Chisholm nineteen minutes four fouls. 
Ronaldo Woolridge played 34 Jennifer minutes. boy. 34 minutes, four of six from the arc with eight rebounds. Uh, the the true is Scotty Hobson and Bobby Mays are so great in this game because there's no other choice. I mean, they, they had to be 16 plus eight assists for Bobby Mays, 17 for Scotty Hobson at a time when we're still trying to get Scotty Hobson to, to get to his place. 10 from Steven Pearl, 10 minutes in this game, 12 minutes from Josh Bone. I mean, just wild. Chris. Okay, so I've got to, I've got to have a quick digression here because I don't think I've told the story on the podcast. Um, I have this gigantic oversized Tennessee hoodie, right? Like big old hoodie, big old orange tee on the chest. And I'm sitting on Metro, sitting on Metro and I am sitting and some, and some guy starts, some guy starts talking to me. It's like, Oh yeah, no, one of my, my, uh, my nephew went to Tennessee. It's like, Oh, that's cool. Who's your nephew? Bobby Mays. (laughs) Cool. Okay. (laughs) And this is right in that area. I want to say it was the following year, actually. Yeah, I mean, just the, the performances in this game. And then uh, the Ohio State game, I'm sure we're going to talk about 2008. The circumstances around the Memphis game in 2008 are, are just impossible to duplicate. But that game itself is not as much fun to rewatch. It's just, it's a fight. It's, it's a street fight. Gavin's right. I mean, the, the last part of that Ohio State game, to have Evan Turner be as good as he was in that game, and Tennessee still win. There's an all-timer from Wayne Chisholm in that game uh, with a double-double. Uh, I mean, that – and then to me, and this is the last thing I'll say before we move on, one of the best arguments for this team is if you do a list of uh, hardest losses to get over in the NCAA tournament, the Michigan State loss never really ranks as high as some of the others because we were so elated. We'd never been there before. And even though it's a uh, you know a, a last possession loss to get to the Final Four on a, a JP Prince certainly looks like he fouls the guy at full speed, but when you watch it in slow mo, he doesn't. Um, but to me, when I think back of the losses that stuck with me the most in the tournament, it's never that one, even though that's a possession to the Final Four. So um, this one to me just a, just a great uh, a great story, and and I'm certainly impacted, like I say, by. That was my favorite team to write about. Just the the course of that season uh, was was uh, was really a gift. So, Chris, let's go to you. And then uh, you you said they were number two on your list, right? They were, and I'll take the what's probably would be the other most likely number one for a lot of people. I'll take the 2018-19 team as my as my number one. So, I mean, this again seems pretty straightforward. And there are a couple. So there are a handful of moments that I recall from this. Um, number one, the Gonzaga game, where I was literally I was watching this. I remember at one point messaging Will, going like, "This is incredibly high level, high, high, high level basketball for March." And oh, it's what early December. Like this game is incredibly good. I remember specifically like Schofield laughing. Getting ready to box, getting ready to box out. I want to say, um, oh, I wish I remember the specific moment, but he's he was getting ready to box somebody out. Tennessee, I want to say, was like down too late, possibly. And I think Schofield just took Schofield, as I recall, just took over. But that was an that was an incredible win. Um, we weren't quite sure what that team what that team was going to look what that team was going to look like. They barely lost to Kansas in, in overtime, and then they just 
they just started winning. Like, uh, big old list of double, big old list of W's. My personal favorite was the 9650 demolition over Georgia that really should have gotten to triple digits, except Barnes pulled all the starters late. Um, and so, you know, not only do they get, not only are they, they the second Tennessee team to get the number one, they are number one for over a month which for Tennessee basketball was literally unheard of and has still been unheard of. And probably the best way to describe what the experience was, experience was watching them was actually, you have to think back almost to some of the really good Golden State Warriors teams where they wouldn't necessarily blow teams out because they didn't need to. They would get up like, so the Golden State would get up like, 10 to 15 and then they just kind of like hang out in that area and then whenever their opponent would cut to like five or six like all right cool i guess we'll try again run it back up to 15 um and tennessee would do the same thing i've never seen a tennessee basketball team do that i i am not sure if i will ever see a tennessee basketball team do that again and so really even by the time the turn by the time tournament rolls around i'm like no i was like no this is this is incredible. This might be the best team that I see my I see in my life. Um, and I think I mentioned this last week, but if not, it will it will come up here. One of the things that kind of comes up with Rick Barnes' teams is the tendency to lose a round early in the NCAA tournament. Um, whether that's fair or not, different matter. If you've accepted that. That makes losing a run early in the tournament feel a bit better. Um, so losing on a phantom call, as it were, possibly, with Lamonte Turner on Carson Edwards is one thing. Um, losing it on a corner three with a suck out, with a pulled out, with a... Um, this thing I mentioned last week where you can, where Barnes can't, where a Barnes defense can give up a corner three by sucking into defender to guard, to guard against a uh, guard against a drive. So they'll, you suck a corner defender and kick it back out to a guy and you'll typically have an open corner shot. That was exactly what happened late against Purdue. Um, and that's how it happened. Like that's, that's how it ended. But if you've seen that enough, like, okay, this happened, like it, this happened, like you would expect. Okay. But not only did they get to the mountaintop, they got to build a shack on the mountaintop. Tennessee's never done that before, and that's super cool. And acting like that isn't a big that isn't acting like that isn't a big deal, just because they didn't make the elite eight. Again, we've won one Sweet Sixteen game. It's fine. <laughs> so these I have these guys as number three on my list. I was so sure they were going to be number two, and then I, I'll talk about my number two later. But so I have them as three on my list. Gavin, you have 2019 on your on your group. So I, I cheated a little bit to get them to three, uh, a team that perhaps is not going to come up. Actually, again, by the system, 2000 came out as the number three team. I, I think something about the first league title in 18 years probably had something to do with that. Um, again, I, I cheated uh, to make them number three on my list, yes. Uh, I'll say this about that team. I mean, Chris summed it up well. Uh, best Tennessee team in, as far as Ken Palm goes, easily best Tennessee team of the last 20 years. Uh, all the teams they lost to that year uh, in Ken Palm were ranked 19th or higher. 
Um, Kansas got, I think Kansas got bounced early, but Kansas was a four seed. All the SEC teams that they lost to uh, went to uh, LSU was a three seed. Kentucky was a two seed. Auburn was a five, but went to the final four. Of course, Purdue uh, went to the elite eight uh, and lost to Virginia. Um, I'm still mad about the refereeing in that LSU game, by the way. Continue. <laughs> right. Yes, that one That one I'm not at peace with of all the losses <laughs> that season. Um, I find myself, like, I'm very at peace with this team and, and how things ended. Uh, the, the Gonzaga game, uh, I thought about this just over the weekend when the, the Evan Russell kid for Tennessee hit, hit three home runs, including a grand slam against Vanderbilt, against number two Vanderbilt. <laughs> And people are like, this is one of the great performances at, at, at Tennessee against an elite opponent. And you, I mean, the football list of that is, is, you know, Travis Stevens against Florida and Peerless in the national title game and Al Wilson against Florida. But in basketball, uh, Lofton's peak uh, was never against uh, – his best performances are not against top one, two, three teams. Um, and even if you put that aside – Schofield in that game, I think, is, is it's the best non-Chris Lofton performance uh, at post-Allen Houston that I've ever seen at Tennessee. 25 in the second half. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I just – and the Kentucky game in the SEC tournament, though, it certainly gets rubbed the wrong way by the Auburn performance the next day. Um, that's, that's the last two and a half minutes of that game, for, from Tennessee's perspective, you can't do it any better than that so uh, if you're looking again for highly rewatchable basketball Gonzaga is the best team Tennessee's beaten in the last 20 years and that Kentucky game that, that's that's one of the best wins Tennessee has ever had over Kentucky so um, same as Gonzaga maybe when they when Schofield hits six threes and you just got to kind of say all right even the Purdue game I tip my hat to Ryan Klein like great job man I, I can't Gavin you're not ready you're not at that I, point. Do, I do not tip my hat I'm <laughs> very salty about it to this day <laughs> I just part of what helps me with that too is Virginia's next. Now Purdue, you know, took them to the wire. Um, they they had the opposite strategy of of let Carson Edwards score all the points and still try to win anyway. But uh, that helps me a little bit. That Sweet 16, I mean, it's the best Sweet 16 in the history of the tournament. The most loaded field in the history of the tournament at that point. So Tennessee is one of many great college basketball teams that year. So uh, I came into this, I thought I'd have him at two. I've got him at three uh, on my list. Uh, Gavin, you want to wrap up our, our thought on 2019 and then you can tell us your number one? Yeah, so I'm, I'm tipping my hand a little bit about uh, some of the other teams on my list. But part of what I like so much about this team was the continuity of a bunch of guys from the previous team that I had also really liked. So you know, you grow, you grow attachments to these guys and they come back and you hope that you're going to see great things. And we saw great things. I think that that is part of what uh, bumps the, the 1819 team up my list. Um, you know, I, I think one thing that's a theme through my satisfied list and it's kind of the opposite of what I just said with 2010, like 2010, there are a lot of things I liked. I'm trying not to overreact to what happened in the tournament. 2019, I, I do feel, Ryan Klein aside, I do feel like there, there's just a little juice left that maybe this team could have squeezed. Um, and I, I think to some extent, you could start to see the wear on these guys at the end of the year. You know, they, they have the 19-game winning streaks, and then they go get thumped at rump 
uh, the, they have the questionable uh, officiating loss against LSU. Um, they lose to Auburn in the season finale uh, with a, a share of the title on the line. As Will said, they get thumped by Auburn in the SEC tournament final um, with a, with another chance to, to hang a banner. It, it seemed like it started to wear on them a little bit. You know, you go to the tournament, Colgate hits 15 threes, and the game is stressful longer than you would like. They play Iowa. They're up 20 at halftime and let them come all the way back. You have the weird thing where Schofield takes himself out in overtime. Like they're just, it started to get a little stretched at the end, which again, I don't think takes away from all of the good that happened in that season. But because that season was so good, can't help but feel like, oh, maybe, maybe there's just a little meat left on that bone for these guys. The Purdue game, too, uh, and this is the last thing I'll say, then we'll go back to back to Gavin. I remember thinking down the stretch in the Purdue game, like, if we can get this win, knowing Virginia's next, or like, I can't remember who played first that night, but um, if we can if we can complete this comeback and get this win with these crazy back-and-forth threes, then, like, I'll be good. Like, this team, like, second Elite Eight ever, we win this game that I'll remember forever. If Virginia beats us, so be it. Um but I, I uh, maybe it's self-preservation that I have done. I just still like, and, and we've joked, I, Chris and I have joked, I know about, I ex- fully expect to catch Ryan Klein at the YMCA, you know, like, like he's just, just some guy that all of a sudden comes in and does this to you. But. Um, so one thing I will say about that year and then turn it to Gavin. I remember Tom, I, the only team in that, that year I was actually afraid of was Duke. Zion um, and those guys, yeah. No, it was actually, yeah, more specifically, the only person I was afraid of was Zion. Um, because I actually felt like you could beat Duke the way that UCF beat Duke, which is let R.J. Barrett take 85 shots. And as it turns out, that worked. That's That was a successful strategy to get Duke out of the tournament. So once that, so, you know, okay, did that actually make, make a whole lot of difference? No, but like, to Gavin's point, could you actually think about those sorts of things with that team? Were they reasonable? Yeah. Doesn't matter we didn't, that they didn't get there? Yeah, not really. <laughs> All right, Gavin, what's number one on your list? So number one on my list, which I assume is going to show up somewhere else uh, for you guys, is 2007-2008. So the first team to make it to number one for Tennessee basketball. Um, and I, I think for me, there are a lot of reasons uh, that I chose the season. You, you want to think about meeting expectations. Um, well, I've, I was doing my research for this, found a, a Rivals article after media days that said, Vols were the clear choice of the SEC media. 28 out of 30 media members picked them to win uh, the league, and they won the league. Did they win a lot of big games? Yep. They had 11 top 50 Kim Palm wins over the course of the season, plus another one uh, in the NCAA tournament. Six of those were in the non-conference. That's the most uh, of any teams uh, in the Kim Palm era. Um, did they have the biggest win for the program at the time? Yep, did that too. Uh, that that one-two game against Memphis, I feel like, Will, this is a stat that you've quoted in lots of write-ups over the years that for a long time, it, it may still be true it was either the the highest rated or most watched college basketball broadcast that ESPN has done. So all of, all of those UNC and Duke games, Kentucky games, nope, it was Tennessee Memphis. Um, so getting to number one for the first time uh, in program history, it, it's really hard to discount that. Rivalry wins. I talked about Memphis, you beat Kentucky, you beat Florida twice. Um, 
you really take advantage of the peak of your cycle. So, so there were special seniors that had been there, you know, for the, the last buzz season, uh, and then had gotten to enjoy the ride with Pearl, um, in Chris Lofton and Juwan Smith. Uh, you had talented youngsters. So Tyler Smith was new on that team. Wayne Chisholm, Ramar Smith, uh, pour one out for his uh, brief tenure. They were all sophomores. So, so you were able to bring all this talent together. Um, and they were just fun to watch. They played fast. They didn't turn it over very much. They turned opponents over a lot on the flip side. Um, they had a, a nine game winning streak, an 11 game winning streak um, to a period where they won 20 out of 21 games. They were just fun. Um, and again, up, up to that point, I think by far the, the zenith of Tennessee basketball, similar to what I just said about the, the 18, 19 team, I did struggle thinking about the, the what ifs. So th this was another team that felt like it, it lost a little bit of steam at the end. Um, you have the sec tournament and I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast last week. I, I had just seen some clip uh, on Twitter of, I guess, Dane Bradshaw uh, has a podcast and he had Steve Forbes on a week or two ago. And I saw a clip uh, tweeted into my timeline about, you know, Steve Forbes was looking back at that team and talking about how good it was and how they were absolutely going to win the SEC tournament. But you had the, the tornado that hits the Georgia Dome on Friday night and all of that gets weird and, just a, a very brief aside, you know, I, I feel like now, 13 years later, having been through all of the weirdness of the last year, I think I maybe have a little appreciation for how strange the rest of that SEC tournament was for the players. You know, like as an outsider, you're like, oh, you just you change buildings. Maybe there aren't as much people there. Um, but that had to be completely disorienting. And again, players are, are creatures of routine. You come up with an expectation of what you think you're going to have in Atlanta. And it's completely different from that, um, which I'm sure threw them for a loop. Uh, one, one not fun fact, um, going back to the SEC tournament that I found today. Uh, so they, they obviously lost by one point to Arkansas in the, the semis. Stephen Hill with the turnaround jumper, the game winner. That was his only bucket of the game. He had two points in that game. <laughs> Will, Will has got his head in his hands. Um, eight feet tall, Stephen Hill. Yeah. Eight, eight feet tall, Stephen Hill. Um, you know, I, I remember the discussion at the time because I think they finished the year. This, this was before Kim Palm was really accepted currency. Uh, I believe that this team was either number one or number two in RPI going into the tournament. So, again, from a, a disappointment perspective, we had talk about, well, they, they probably should have gotten a one seed. Instead, they got a two seed. And at the time, we were worried that it was in UNC's region. Um, of course, ended up getting Louisville as a, a very bad matchup in the Sweet 16. But to some extent, we're, we're kind of lucky to be there. They, they struggled with American uh, in the first round. They had to go to overtime to beat Butler in the second round. So, again, th this was some of my um, thinking about uh, the, the satisfying teams is that a lot of them – had postseason runs that didn't quite match the joy of the regular season. Um, and for 2008, that that didn't outweigh all of the good in the regular season, and that's why it was number one for me. Um, but I, I'm curious where you guys had this group. So I was I was sure when we first started this, I was like, all right, it's going to be easy. I'll have 10, 19, 8. And I ended up moving 19 to 3, and I, I have 2008 would be my first honorable mention. Uh, so Chris, do you have them on, do you have 2008 on your list? No, they're down in the, I didn't order my honorable mentions, but they're actually, they're down there, they're down there too. And the one thing I will note is 
what is the loss that had Tennessee fans the least bothered in history? That'd be the loss at Vanderbilt right after beating Memphis. Nobody cared. The um... I, I will. Sorry, Will. I'll, I'll jump in there briefly. So this was, of course, my senior year at Vanderbilt. So I watched that game uh, from the Vanderbilt student section and was very conflicted uh, about how it all played out. That was that was a decent Vanderbilt team. Um, and also we were, we were heavily discouraged from rushing the floor because we'd done it the year before when uh, Vanderbilt beat number one Florida uh, and got a, a nasty gram from the league about it. Um, but yes, that, that was not a surprising result after how high uh, it was on Saturday. And then it was a, it was a Tuesday game. Uh, so it was even, you know, by SEC conference standards, a fairly quick turnaround. Um, but yeah, I, I was there for that one. The, uh, the Vanderbilt contest in Knoxville, which Tennessee, uh, that's one of the, the uh, if you're looking for great Tennessee team, decimates pretty good opponent. That first one in Knoxville is great. I just remember I, I took a date, not my wife now, but I took a date to that game. It was like our second date, and she had no – her family was a baseball family. She had no concept of, like, watching bats. So, like, Tennessee would, like, get a turnover and be on the fast break, and she'd, like, turn and look at me and be like, so are you close to your parents? Or whatever? I'd be like, no, you got you to wait for the, the dead ball to have these conversations. So, uh, anyway, random random aside, uh, a was lovely the human last being date? girl. But uh, was that the last date, Will? No, uh, it, oh. it was not the last date. Uh, <laughs> contrary to popular belief, it's not all about uh, can you can you watch the Vols at a certain level for me? Uh, but um, that is I was at that SEC tournament. Uh, we sold our evening tickets to Mississippi State fans and we're, we're out of danger. Uh, one of the best I just looked it up. One of the best pieces of sports writing I've ever seen is a story in Sports Illustrated about the shot that Bama hit. Um, that that sent that game into overtime that saved lives because people were in the Georgia Dome instead of out on the streets. Uh, it's an incredible story uh, by Thomas Lake from the March 16th, uh, 2009, a year later. Uh, uh, but yeah, wild, uh, just wild stuff. And again, like uh, if you're looking for most satisfying individual win, uh, Ohio State uh, Sweet 16 might be up there until we top it. Uh, I fully anticipate living a full and long life and not seeing anything like that Memphis game again in terms of undefeated opponent. You knew they were going to be undefeated so long before the game. It was just a matter of could Tennessee hold up its end of the bargain after, after Tennessee beat Florida, another huge win on February 5th, you know, you had three weeks of can Tennessee avoid the trap? And, and stay at the top of the pole and give themselves a shot. And then to get there and to win it and to beat Calipari and to ruin their undefeated season, I mean, that ain't coming around again. Uh, so, yeah, for, for an individual win, uh, it, it may not get any better than that in any of our lifetimes. So, yeah, so uh, Joel, you have a thought? Yeah, I, I, everybody knows I'm an old man. and go to bed at 930 and eat at 430, right? exaggerating just a little but i stayed up till like i think it was up at four finishing that that post writing about that game that, that was the perfection game right that was that yes. was a good one yeah Jawan smith uh super underrated i mean again basketball has changed a lot since 2008 but in 2008 when tennessee came down the floor and put lofton on one side and Jawan on the other side and posted up tyler smith it was a handful for teams to deal with uh in that league and that is a 
that's uh, that's a Billy Gillespie year at Kentucky. So there wasn't, uh, you know, the and and all the Florida guys had just won two and and were out to the NBA. So uh, that that as Gavin pointed out, that was. Uh, the, the flag was ripe for the taking. The banner was ripe for the taking, and, and Tennessee uh, certainly took it. So, I have um, a weird question for everyone about that year. Okay. Did anyone else remember Ole Miss was actually ranked? That was uh, it was the SEC opener, right? And we uh, Tyler Smith hit a big bucket. That was uh, we struggled against those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. They were yeah. apparently a top fifteen team, which I literally had forgotten about that because I'm not used to talking about Ole Miss basketball in top twenty five. When I was going through and looking, when I was going back and looking through, I'm like, huh. The the nature of Vanderbilt sports at the time and also largely today is such that most students maintained their allegiances to, to what they'd grown up with. Uh, <laughs> one of my sweet mates grew up in Oxford, uh, was a big Ole Miss fan. So I, I had forgotten that game until you just mentioned it, Chris. There, there was a lot of yelling across the hall involved with that one. <laughs> Well, so my assumption was false that we would all that this would be a straightforward podcast, which is great, like speaks to the nature of how many meaningful opportunities uh, that we've had. So uh, so I, we'll go, I've got my number two is still on the board. Uh, um, I had uh, the Elite Eight team at number one. I had 2019 at number three. I was sure 2008 was going to be on the list. And when I really went back and started looking at it, Bruce Pearl's first year is just so satisfying to me in in so many ways looking back on it there are just so many games from 2006 that are like standout memories chris already mentioned in our our chat off the air the texas the the coming out party rick barnes uh and the texas longhorns that game uh we talked about the kansas game a few minutes ago in 2010 that one I mean, Bruce Pearl had been here for five minutes and Tennessee was um, Tennessee was bad in Bose Peterson's third year. And then they brought almost everybody back and then they were worse in his last year. And so there was just kind of a lot of just malaise around the basketball program and the football team had their that was the 2005 football season ending. And there was kind of this sense of like. Oh no! Now, like we, you know, we lost a Vanderbilt. In, sorry, Gavin, we lost a Vanderbilt in football. Jay Cutler, uh, you know, now is everything going in the toilet or whatever? And December seventeenth, two thousand six, Tennessee rolls into Austin against number six Texas and won. They won by seventeen. Like I, never, ever have I seen a first year coach at Tennessee come in and in essentially the first they beat Murray State on November thirtieth, but really the first big test. And I mean, they just dominated. They just like Lofton and Jawan Smith, again, just kept making threes and you kept waiting for Texas to make a run. And then they'd make a little run. You'd be like, well, we're still up 12. Like, how is this even happening? Um, and then from there, I mean, some of these games, the Florida game in Knoxville, um, that that's the loudest for my money. That is the loudest I have ever heard Thompson Bowling Arena. Uh, the, that Florida performance in, in Knoxville where you have the uh, the Dane Bradshaw uh, and Chris Lofton getting involved in the steal at the end. Tennessee beats Florida when they're ranked number two. And then they won their next seven games, uh, including Rupp Arena, uh, which at that time was just – I mean, Rondo was on that team. I mean, just, just a and, – and a number of those games were just give it to Lofton and, and let him do it. And I mean, Loft, Chris Lofton still is, 
I don't know that anything makes me feel older as a Tennessee fan than running across people that like didn't get to watch him play because I mean, as good as it's been for Tennessee and we've talked about it, all these teams that came after this first team, there's no one that commanded individual attention like Chris Lofton, especially in this year. Um, and then they go to Florida, they get the, they get the CJ Watson elbow on uh, Joe Kim Noah. They win the East. Uh, I mean, it was just, just one after the other. And, and this team too, a common theme, they ran out of gas. Uh, they, they lost two uh, uh, Arkansas and Kentucky in Knoxville, both of those top 25 Ken Palm teams. Uh, they got bounced another SEC tournament uh, Friday bouncing. Uh, but then Lofton, even though a 15, seed, a 15 seed almost beat them, Lofton gives you probably, other than the Ohio State game, the, the, the single like NCAA tournament memory that sticks out to people is Lofton hitting that shot against Winthrop. Um, Pearl said after they, so they, they beat Winthrop in the 215 and then they lost to Wichita State in the second round. And I remember Pearl saying after that game was over, this is probably the first time all year we lost a game that we weren't supposed to lose. And you go back and look at, I mean, that's really true. And all like, that was his first year. Uh, all of that to me is, is just wild. And so I, I didn't expect to have this on my list or in my top three when we started. But when I went back and looked, I, I just, uh, in terms of preseason expectation versus end result, I mean, it just, that is just 15, 15 years ago now, um, but just a truly amazing basketball season. So when I think of what was satisfying to me to still go back and run through all those games, uh, I've got 2010 at the top, the Elite Eight. Then I've got this year, Pearl's first year in 06. And then I've got uh, Barnes, the, the 2019 team. Uh, Chris, Gavin, anybody have Pearl's first year on their list? No. Okay. <laughs> Just... So I also, I did not have, sorry, um, people who are on, so podcasts are visual medium. Gavin was shaking his head no. <laughs> I didn't have it on my on my list because I was trying to avoid having too many Pearl teams on the list, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, but this is kind of a good point to note that Chris Lawson, he was a little bit, little bit man out of time, and a little bit just horribly unlucky. Um, if you remember his senior year, where we didn't know what was going on until we found out. Oh no, no, he was taking chemo. Yeah, that's okay. Cool. Now we understand what the problem is. Got it. All right, understand. Reasonable. Um, but his game was just a little before. Um, his game was just a little before staff. And the NBA wasn't ready for the particular kind of game that he would that he would bring. So if you look at those if you look at those Pearl teams, especially once uh, Wayne Chisholm showed up, there are bits and pieces of those teams that would not be out of place in 2019. And that's probably one of the so actually I do I remember the Texas game um, because I was actually watching that visiting fa visiting family over Christmas and. I was making too much noise. Yeah, <laughs> that was real exciting. It was a super fun game. Um, but that was really my main memory. My main memory of that year. I actually had a different um, team show up in the honorable mentions from that kind of sub range. Just will to to your point for any listeners who might not remember. Here here is just one stat for Chris Lofton every year. Here's here's his three point percentage on attempts per game. His freshman year is Buzz Peterson's last year. 46.5% on six attempts a game. Pearl's first year, 43.7% on eight attempts per game. 
his junior year, 41.9% on eight attempts per game. And then as Chris said in his senior year, when he only shoots 38% on closer to 10 attempts per game, we wonder what's wrong. Like that is who he was. And yeah, being able to pair that with Juwan Smith. And we talked a little bit last week about Wayne Chisholm being before his time. Like that team really could, if in the era of five out basketball, that team really, really could have been something special. Yeah, uh, it's a tough um, uh, – his jersey doesn't meet the criteria, and obviously he has no NBA resume. And, I mean, since then, Jarnell Stokes wore it and Admiral Schofield wore it. So, you know, it's tough now to go back and and look at retiring. But, I mean, I think everybody of a certain generation, there's just Lofton is, is, is it. Chris? Can I – so on the as long as, we're, as long as we are solidly in the remembering some guys territory – I have a theory regarding some jersey numbers. Uh, there are some jerseys you want to retire, and then there are some jerseys that kind of maintain significance. And part of this is because, like, I also watch soccer. And if you're listening to this podcast it, during this week, you've seen European soccer both blow up and then re-implode. It's actually been really entertaining. Um, so the idea of that number five jersey, right, that went from lo- that went Lofton Stokes to Schofield do you not retire it because people who've worn that Jersey haven't done enough yet to retire it, but do you keep it in reserve? You have to earn the five, that kind of, is that a thing that makes sense for certain, for certain jerseys? It's a good question for a new athletic director. Cause there, I mean, there's, there's a lot of those, uh, we got to move on to other things, but like, I mean, in football, Heath Schuler, uh, there's no, there's nothing on campus for Heath Schuler, who came in second in the Heisman Trophy in a year when the Heisman winner Charlie Ward was more like that was one of the more obvious. This guy should win the Heisman years, uh, but there's like there's no, they're not gonna retire his jersey because he only played two years. But like, th- there's nothing for Heath Schuler on campus. So there, there's a lot of those guys uh, I think that are. Uh, hey, hey Will, uh, which uh, which Tennessee football team all time has the highest scoring offense? That's right. The 93, I had that in my notes to say, that's, to say, like, that's the top SP plus team uh, after 1970. But you would not say that was the most satisfying season because you need, you you got to, uh, that team hammered a bunch of above average teams, but they tied Alabama and they lost at Florida. And you got to, you know, you, you got to get the wins. So, yeah, that's right. Everybody, maybe Josh Heupel will allow us to talk about that team some more if we score uh, a million points. So, um, yes. Yeah, so, all right. So my, my list is, is done. Uh, Gavin, you're, you're number two, still on the board. Give us your number two. My number two still alive. Um, so I think this actually flows pretty well from you talking about 2006. Um, because the, the team that I have number two on my list, I think is one that also happened without a lot of expectations really Famously so, uh, and it's the it's the seventeen eighteen team. Um, so it's it's Barnes' third year, the the year before uh, the twenty nineteen team that we just talked about. You know, I had two thousand eight first on my list, and I said the the story of joy there was really thinking they're going to be good, and they were, and you got to enjoy every moment of that. Twenty eighteen is really kind of the flip side of that. As I said, they they were famously picked to finish thirteenth in the league. Um, and, you know, we talked a little bit last week around sort of moments, um, you know, over the last 20, 25 years where you're 
wondering what the the future of Tennessee basketball is. Um, and, and I think to start this season, we we were really kind of there. Um, you know, we talked a little bit last week about Conzo's team, or at least I did uh, in Antoine's space at some length. Then you get Tyndall's one year. Um, you have Barnes's first year where the team is pretty bad. Um, and then Punter gets hurt. You have Barnes's second year where the team trends in the right direction, but then Robert Hubbs gets hurt and they end the year pretty mediocre. So we, we were at this point, um, you know, more than three seasons removed from anything really approaching competitive basketball and not knowing what was going to happen. Um, and in the non-conference, I'm not sure that we really got a glimpse of what that was going to be. Um, you know, they, they played the, the preseason tournament where they got a, a big win against Purdue uh, over Thanksgiving and then hung tight uh, with Villanova for a while, ended up losing that. Um, they had a trio of what at the time we thought were going to be decent uh, non-conference wins against ACC teams. Uh, it ended up, unfortunately, not quite being so for NC State, Georgia Tech, and Wake Forest. And really what you took away was the the fourth ACC game against UNC. It was the repeat of the one the year before where they'd given UNC a game in Chapel Hill and had lost late. They played the, the rematch in Knoxville. Tennessee led most of the game but gave it away late. And then they start the, the SEC season by losing in overtime against Arkansas and then really a weird yo-yo of a game against Auburn where Tennessee was up. 14 uh halfway through the first half and then they were down six at halftime and then they were up three and then they end up losing by 10 just a, a crazy swing of a game back and forth against auburn so they start the year zero and two uh and that's with kentucky coming to town and tennessee's down eight at halftime so really you you feel like you're looking to zero and three and we play square in the face maybe they really are going to be 13th in the league um and everybody's prediction will be right but they unleash a, a 47 to 28 second half against Kentucky to, to run away with that. Um, they go on a, an 18 and three stretch uh, that includes another huge win and Rupp. Uh, really, I think the, the first glimpse we got of Lamonte's uh, late game heroics, it's a, a three from the top of the key to put Tennessee up there. Um, and, I, and I think that, you know, the, the 2019 team had a little more, flash, a little more glitz, a little more glamour. Uh, it was an amazing offensive team. 2018 was a, a little bit more blue collar grit and grind to um, steal heavily from my, my Memphis uh, professional team here. Um, you know, they, they played Georgia on the, the last Saturday of the league, hoping that if they, they win, they have a chance to, to share the league title. And it was not a particularly good Georgia team. They had Yante Maton and not really anybody else. And Tennessee was behind almost the whole game. Uh, they're, they're down four with three minutes to go. Um, and it takes some great defensive stops and some big shots from Schofield to end up winning that game and be able to, to cut down nets in front of a, a raucous home crowd. They make the finals of the SEC tournament, play a good back and forth game against Kentucky, but then can't quite seal the deal. And then we're back on, again, what is sort of the theme of my satisfying teams of what do you do uh, with the NCAA tournament? Um, you know, they, they had a, a runaway win against um, Wright State. I think even before we got there, you may be grumbling a little bit that they didn't end up with a, a two seed and get to play in Nashville. Instead, they're a three seed and had to go play in Dallas. Um, and then they get Sister Jean uh, in the second round. And 
it's one that, that this crew chatted about quite a bit when the, the bracket came out this year, hoping we were going to get a chance at our revenge. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen. And, you know, that, that game in 2018, really, I feel like kind of uh, encapsulated this team that they did not have it for most of the night. They, they were down nine points with about four or five minutes to go and went on an 11-1 run to take the lead. You need one stop. And Loyola gets the, the shot that bounces off the rim 12 times and goes in. Um, so that's obviously a, a very disappointing finish. And I think especially in light of, and this is obviously one of those things you don't know in the moment, you can't see it until after the fact, but the fact that they could have gone to Atlanta to, to play in the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, and you could have made the Final Four by beating Nevada and Kansas State. Um, so you could have made the Final Four by beating a, a 14, an 11, a 7, and a 9. Um, again, it's one of those things that in retrospect, you're like, hmm, maybe, maybe there was a little bit more that this team could have done. But again, for me, at least I did not let that take away, um, from the, the overall enjoyment I got out of watching this, this group of guys play. That's the danger. We talked about this last week, the danger of that loss was hard, but everybody's coming back. Uh, and, and of course, again, we've, we've all, we all love 2019, uh, on our, on our list, but. Yeah, no Kyle Alexander in that game uh, against Loyola. And Loyola, I mean, everybody knows now, is is a, a, not just a good team but a good program and so good at making you defend the whole shot clock uh, in, in ways that a lot of college teams don't do. I really – I loved 18 for um, – the game against Purdue was in the middle of the Shiano mess. Uh, and then the one at Rupp, like both of those games, Purdue early, even before the, the Shiano situation – felt like, you know, um, we if we could win this game, then we can kind of get in some conversations. And the one at Rupp felt like if we can win this, then we're real like we're in a different kind of conversation. And and to win both of those games, um, I also really love just looking back through the list, the SEC tournament semifinals against Arkansas to beat the doors off those guys after a a all kinds of uh, hot ref nonsense in that SEC opener in Fayetteville, incredibly satisfying that win. Uh, so yeah, I, I didn't have them on my list, but this, that's a fun, that's a fun group. Chris, do you have uh, 2018 on your list? No, I had them as an, I had them as another honorable, honorable mention. The note I have there is proof of concept for 2018, 19. I want to say this is one of the year, what Grant Williams was player of the year that this year too, right? Like, yeah. Two times. So, like, yeah. One, so like at one point you looked up and like, Oh, wait a second. I don't think they're ready yet, but like, this is cool. You get to, you kind of get to see where that see kind of what they, what they can turn into again. Yeah, we're talking proof. We're talking proof of concept, right? So the catch for me though, was inflicting sister gene on the nation. That was actually what ultimately kept this out of the, kept this out of the top three. Um, also, I'm a little disappointed, Gavin, that you did not mention that, this team lost to Barton in his first year of Missouri early on, early on too. I, I thought about it, uh, almost mentioned it, that yeah, it, in that 18 and three stretch that I mentioned, uh, the three losses were a confusing one at Georgia, a confusing one at Missouri. And then they lost by 28 points at Alabama in a game that really doesn't make any sense, but yes, thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Chris. The, the poster up hangover, that Bama game, the, we could get a one seed. Okay, maybe not. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, all right, so that's uh, that's Gavin. Your list is we've got all yours now. All right, Chris, finish off your list for us. All right, so just kind of recap. We've got 18, 19 at the top. Then I've got 9, 10. And did I mention Conzo Martin a minute ago as a transition? Yes, I did. Gavin probably needs to mute himself for the next five minutes because I've got 2014, 15 as number th- as number three on my list. So, all right, so let's let's rewind here. Let, let's understand for a minute. This is a deeply, intensely personal number three that I do not expect very many people to have on this list because as somebody who was writing regularly about Tennessee basketball, oh my, the Conzo Martin discourse was so exhausting by now. So incredibly exhausting. Um, but we knew the routine, right? Like you knew the, it was going to be weird in the non-conference. They were going to go on a tear. Going to hope the tear was enough. And then maybe you get proof of concept. And you know what happened this year? We got proof of concept. Yeah. Um, you know, did it, it take involve going through Dayton? Sure. Um, but like, if you're looking for, okay, what is Conte ball supposed to look like? This was the year. You had Sto- you had kind of Stokes, Maimon, um, Josh Richardson couldn't figure couldn't shoot yet, but he could defend everybody basically at NBA level by the time he was a sophomore. Um, so you ended up having this very strong defensive team that I'm not going to lie, not super pretty to watch, but if they were winning, it was fun. Um, and I feel like I rehashed parts of this team parts of this team last week. I'm still questionably mad about the charge. Um, <laughs> wasn't a charge was not a charge ref just wanted to get out of town um and from a personal like from a personal narrative perspective Conzo deciding nah man this is i don't want this headache and just dipping on a personal level i can completely understand that does it make me satisfied as a as a tennessee fan that our head coach who just got us a sweet 16 decided he want to go somewhere else yeah probably not do I completely understand Hey, I had to read these headlines for three years. I just made the sweet 16 and I still have to read these headlines. No, I don't want this. Do I understand that? Absolutely. I think so. the late, the late season run this team went on. And we talked about uh, Antoine space, as we've mentioned already. Uh, should, we all should have taken the over on Antoine space on this podcast. Uh, but like he took the over on us. After, right. right. <laughs> That's good. But uh, after that loss, when we're all ready to fire him, they beat Mississippi State by seven. But, I mean, just the score, I mean, they doubled up, again, sorry, Gavin, they doubled up Vanderbilt 76-38. to 38. They beat Auburn 82-54. to 54. They beat Missouri, like, decent Mizzou team, 72-45. to 45. Then they beat South Carolina by 15 in the SEC tournament. They, they lose to the Gators, who were great that year. Iowa goes to overtime, but they win that by 13. They beat UMass by 19, and they beat Mercer by 20. Like, that's they beat ridiculous. Not they beat not Duke by 20, to be fair. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I again, my stance on Conzo is well, well documented. So I did not have these guys on my list. But I, I mentioned last week, after the Mercer game, it, that was such a satisfying moment that just uh, became less so because of the Michigan situation. I still think that was, the, like, the only charge that was called in that game. Uh, and, then, and then the notion that this is all kind of going away. Um, so, cause not only is Conzo leaving, but Stokes and Maven and Jordan McRae, you know, these guys are all, are all gone. So, um, 
Uh, I like it. I'm I'm pro I'm pro Conzo. Gavin, you have anything else you'd like to add to the Conzo? I, I, I will say, uh, in the spirit of reconciliation, and I think to to bridge some of the gap between you know, what I talked about last week, or like a team that I talked about uh, earlier tonight. You know, we've obviously referenced Kim Palm on here. Love Kim Palm. Best twenty dollars you can spend on an annual basis. He had this team 341st in the country in luck. Of their of their 14 losses, or sorry, of their 13 losses, 12 were by single digits. You contrast that with, I, I believe I had this in my notes, uh, but might not have mentioned it for a, a team that I had earlier. The, the 2018 was fourth in luck per Ken Palm. So I, I think that, again, that, that is a way to kind of bridge the gap between what is satisfying and unsatisfying is, you know, do, do more of the coin flips go your way? Do you win more of the close games and, and generate more positive memories? For me, at least, the, the 2014 team did not do that, but it's it's real close to, to being on the other side and having a season like 2008. Uh, honorable mentions before we get out of here. Uh, Gavin, you want to say uh, uh, anything about 2000? Because I can, I can bridge it to one of mine. I... I really did not have that much in my notes other than they won the league for the first time in 18 years. Um, so that seems like a positive thing. Again, this was one that surprised me that it showed up, but by all the metrics, no bad losses, plenty of rivalry wins, got a league title that, that bumps you up the list. I love the 2000, uh, 99, 2000 was my freshman year at UT. I, I, there are some wins that Auburn win, uh, just so much fun. Uh, they break through to the sweet 16 for the first time. That's a fun team. The, the more satisfying one to me as the year before is the 99 team. Uh, a weird stat that I did not know until today when I was looking at some of this stuff. Uh, so uh, Wade Houston, Kevin O'Neill, all very bad. Uh, Jerry Green shows up with O'Neill's players, and he made the tournament his first year. We lost in the 8-9 game. The next year, Tennessee was ranked ninth in the preseason poll after not being ranked at any point the previous nine seasons. So like that 99 team is my senior year of high school. Like from the jump, you're you're jumping into a larger basketball conversation. They played Arizona in the opener and lost by one. Like just being in that game, number nine, Tennessee against number 18, Arizona. It was a whole other kind of conversation. Um, this again, a classic Jerry Green. This this team had some swings. Uh, they lost at Auburn by 28. They, they lost at Florida by 21, and then when Florida came back to Knoxville, they beat Florida by 35. So, like, some some wild stuff in there. But most importantly, they swept Kentucky at a time – this is early Tubby Smith, Kentucky – at a time when Tennessee couldn't beat Kentucky anywhere and beat them in Rupp 47-46 uh, and then beat them in Knoxville in the regular season finale to win the SEC East for the first time ever – that was the end of a six-game winning streak. And when they won that game, it was just like, okay, here we are. And then, it, it, you know, Friday flame out in the SEC tournament. They beat Delaware by 10. They were a four seed. They beat Delaware by 10 in the first round. And then the infamous 30-point loss to Missouri State in the second round of the tournament in John Ward's final broadcast. Uh, so, 99 and 2000 don't end well in very different ways in the NCAA tournament, but that team, uh, even though green couldn't sustain it, and then Buzz Peterson, and all that stuff. Like if you're old enough for it in that moment, it was like, Oh, like Tennessee basketball on a net in a national conversation for the first time, literally in my lifetime. 
Um, so I really love that team. Uh, other other honorable mentions we want to shout out real quick. Uh, I had 0607 as one of, as my first honor, honorable mention. Uh, the real question for kind of would you put them in the top three? The if he if the answer is yes, the way you probably caveat that is look, I don't care about Ohio State that much. <laughs> um, but no, this is really so. You know, full disclosure, this is also that was my senior year, so I'm going to be a little more attached to kind of my last team while I was still there. The other part, so like. You do have to be some level of good to get up 20 points in Ohio State. And I don't think we had figured out that Tennessee could be get, get up 20 points in Ohio State good before then. After that, I blocked out. I don't know what happened. What had, season, season just magically disappeared. It kind of, we just faded off into the ether. Nothing. It's cool. No problems, no problems after that. Uh, but I think since we've talked about, we talked about 05, 06, and we talked about 07, 08. So kind of that entire run was pretty, was actually pretty nice. I wanted to make sure we got a little bit of attention on 06, 07. Yeah, that, I mean, that's right. Those three teams together, that 07 team has a couple of the best. I, I've written this ad nauseum. Lofton against Memphis that year is the best individual game I've ever seen a Tennessee player play. It gets forgotten because he hit the shot against Durant like 10 days later. But he was, again, like, who am I to criticize? But he was 8 of 24 against Texas in that game. The one at Memphis, he he was spectacular. Um, and then the Florida game in Knoxville that year, um, a, a lot of people, and, and rightfully so, Florida went on and, and repeated. So, like, these guys don't need me to say whatever about them. But some people at that point thought that team was maybe getting a little bored or they'd hit a wall or whatever. Sure, you can understand. But I remember watching those guys in warm-ups and I mean, you look at and, and the NBA has borne this out with Horford and, and Noah and Brewer. Like you watch those guys in warmups and as good as we thought we were, I remember thinking we're I mean, we just we just have to play at a extraordinarily high level to beat these guys. And Tennessee smoked them like I mean, that, there's there is a level of satisfaction in that game. Um, that's the uh, the uh, Pat Summit dressed up like a cheerleader. Game. I mean, there's. That was kind of peak Tennessee at a time before, you know, Phil Fulmer was still the football coach uh, at, a, at a time when uh, things were were uh, less bad. I've picked up my, my daughter's little magic wand here to emphasize and make points. Uh, you can't hear it on the podcast, but the, everyone here is, uh, is watching it and enjoying. So, um, I yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with any 06, 07, 08. You're not going to go wrong with any of those teams. So one thing I will note about those Florida back-to-back teams Tennessee went three and one against them. Lofton was hurt in the one too, the one they lost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, uh, and that's, again, I, I think all these conversations always take me back to Barnes as a way of saying, we talked about last week when that Pearl run ended, uh, the, the team we all thought was the least satisfying or, or the most of us had is least satisfying in 11. There was that fear of this is all going to go away now. So a huge credit to Barnes that we can talk about so many of his teams uh, as well. Uh, it, Gavin, any other honorable mentions? All, all tapped out on my end. Well, uh, the good news is uh, this also just kind of continues for Tennessee. Since last week we kind of joked about hopefully Rick Barnes didn't get fired while we were trying to say anything good. And since then, like only good stuff has happened to Tennessee basketball. So uh, Fulkerson's back, another another ridiculously highly rated five-star kid. Another weird year coming up here where, like, I know, I think I know what I'm going to get from Josiah, 
And I know what I'm going to get from Fulkerson if if COVID issues. He talked about that today, really, for the first time, which I think a lot of us thought that he had he had COVID and he was struggling with getting over it and things like that. I know what I'm going to get from him. I don't know, man, about a lot of the rest of this stuff, but I'm excited. Last week, we mentioned in, in early bracketologies that Tennessee was like in the 8-9 game. Lenardi's got him a four seed now. So, I mean, that feels much more kind of the conversations that we're going to get ourselves into again, same as we just did this year with all these freshmen and that sort of thing. So, so I for I actually, I forget. I know we talked about this around the podcast recording. We're going to get a little bit under the hood. Did I actually call Fulkerson coming back on the podcast itself or was that after the podcast? I believe it was said on, we on the call. What? That was on. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. The tapes. That's right. Because I believe I said, does he really want to hang out with 17 and 18 year olds? Turns out, yes. So great. Awesome. If, if those 17 and 18 year olds are five star freshmen, that's awesome. So, so Chris, Chris said last week that we'd really arrived as a basketball program because here we were in spring practice doing basketball podcasts. And we've done that. And now we've, you know, wrapped up uh, another class with multiple five stars and people are putting us back in the, the top 15 without necessarily having earned it. So we really are a basketball school now. <laughs> Until proven otherwise. That's right. So, all right. Uh, that is an hour and 21 minutes by my clock of awesome. So uh, if you listen to this whole thing, thanks for sticking with us. A pleasure, gentlemen, as always, uh, to, to remember some of these things. Uh, and, and again, like, I mean, it sounds sentimental to say, but like, I'm very grateful. Like, uh, so much of Tennessee basketball was was pearl in a in a window, and even Conzo, we can make arguments for. Look how satisfying this season was, uh, and Barnes certainly now. So, uh, Tennessee, uh, a very good thing going, uh, and we want to keep it going that way. So, uh, appreciate these guys uh, being with us uh, again. Always good uh, to to check in with them and hear from them. Uh, we. Uh, I assume we'll have some football on the blog at some point this week because it is the orange and white game on Saturday. So uh, we'll, we'll still do that. But um, it, yes, anytime we can talk about basketball in late April, that's a good thing. So thanks for listening, uh, as always, for Chris Penley and Gavin Driscoll and Joel Hollingsworth pushing the buttons. I'm Will Shelton. This has been the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast. wrestling part. I did come up with a couple of other uh, wrestling games. Did you, the, yes. the wrestling joke, if you guys don't know, is on one of our football podcasts, maybe two years ago, Joel always, you know, if you like, give us some five-star ratings, like, subscribe, all that stuff. And he's like, we actually got a comment from somebody, and he's like, uh, I think it was Dean Ambrose. It was one yeah. of my friends that just wrote in as a wrestler name. But Joel, not knowing it was a wrestler, just read it off like, Dean Ambrose says great podcasts and all this other stuff. I was like, it's probably one of like four different people in my life pretending to be. And then they wrote in the next week and somebody.